Good morning. Today we're continuing on with our Faithful Presence series here at Covenant where we're looking at the first few chapters of the book of Daniel. And the reason we decided that Daniel is where we wanted to go is that Daniel is, is, is living in a context that in some ways is very similar to how we find ourselves here in Austin, Texas today in that he is a minority practicing his faith where the norms of the land he's living in don't share the same spiritual beliefs. That's where we are today. And this happened in a very short amount of time. We are a minority in Texas, I mean, in Austin specifically. You are the minority. You are the counterculture for thinking about waking up on a Sunday morning and coming to church. You see the little t-shirts, keep Austin weird? You're doing it <laughs> right now, today. Weird is not not being here and being independent. I'm spiritual but not religious. That's not weird. That's normal. You're weird. And I'm weird. And we're at church, which is weird too, but that's a whole different thing, right? Like, I mean, it's like we are the counterculture. We're the minority. And that freaks people out. A lot of times we don't know what to do with that anymore. And so what happens is, is that we've seen kind of the extremes of Christianity and the extreme voices of Christianity that have become the dominant voices in this time, although most of us aren't necessarily comfortable with either extreme. For example, you have on the one end of the spectrum people who are like, culture's bad. It's evil, everything about culture is bad, and our job is to make sure that we influence the culture, but they don't have anything to do with us. So we build really big walls around ourselves. We make sure that the culture doesn't influence our kids. We make sure the culture doesn't influence our grandkids. We have these walls that keep us safe, you know, and then we just, every once in a while, lob these hand grenades of self-righteousness out into the culture, and they explode all around us, and then we can't figure out why nobody wants to listen to us anymore. Of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you have people of faith who are like, let's just all be really good people. Like, let's just all choose love, because love is the way, right? Like, if we could all just choose love, the world would be a better place. It's like, it would be. It's never going to happen, right? Like, it's an amazingly naive viewpoint of human nature to just say, if you could choose love through your way, and I choose love through my way, then we all choose love. It's happy. We're happy. Great vision, never going to happen. And yet those are the voices that dominate so much of what Christianity is today. And part of what you see in Daniel is that he doesn't fall into either of those extremes, right? Like on the one hand, what he doesn't do is go, the Babylonian empire is not godly and therefore I will not have anything to do with it. It's not what he does. It's not his response as a person of faith. And yet, on the other hand, he doesn't just go, they're just being nice and I'm being nice, and so we're all just being nice together. He maintains his spiritual distinctiveness in the, as a minority in the midst of the culture around him. It's what James Davison Hunter refers to as a faithful presence. What it means to be the minority. It's not something that should scare us. It's not something that should intimidate us. It actually brings opportunities with it that are wonderful, as well as things that will be difficult. And that's what this series is about, is rather than going, well, I don't want to be this extreme, or I don't want to be this extreme, what do we want to be? And how do we lean forward toward that vision, that being a faithful presence? To continue that discussion, we're going to look at the last few verses of chapter one that we're going to bring up here from Daniel. And I invite you to listen now and follow along with God's word to us today. 
At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that today, no matter who we are, you would speak to us and lead us in this call, as with Daniel, to be a faithful presence here in Austin and beyond. And we pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. So in this passage, what you see is very simple. The lesson for today is is very, very simple. But it's one that we want to ask ourselves again and again, what does it mean for us individually, and what does it mean for us as a community? The point of the lesson is this, is that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, these are the four Hebrews that the Babylonian kingdom has captured and brought into slavery and forced them to become advisors to the Babylonian king, to Nebuchadnezzar. And what it says here is that they rise above all of the other advisors. They don't sit there and go, this isn't a Babylonian, this isn't a godly kingdom, so I won't help. Because it's evil and the culture's evil. And they don't just assimilate, they're distinct, they're different from the other advisors, and they're not afraid to be different. And what happens is they rise to become the top advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar, And then, as we're going to see going forward, they wield that power. They use that influence to actually shape and form the Babylonian kingdom. They have spheres of influence. And their spheres of influence are quite significant. So that Babylon looks different because they are there. When you think about the power of this, it says that Nebuchadnezzar would call them in. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which he inquired of them, he found them ten times better. Meaning that on all different kinds of issues, he was bringing them in going, what do you think I should do? How do you think this should work? What do you think, what decisions we should make? What values go into that? That's an enormous amount of influence that they had. And they weren't scared to use it. Because as we're going to see in the verses and the chapters to come, the Babylonian empire is impacted by their presence, by their leadership. And the question we want you to consider this morning is what does that mean for you? What does that mean in your life, in your sphere of influence, no matter what it is, to be somebody who seeks to make an impact, to make a difference for the values of our faith, for the things that we believe in? What does that look like for you? Now, with some of you, as soon as we start talking about using our faith to influence the world around us, there can be some like flashing red warning lights going off, right? It's like, oh, this feels manipulative, and this feels like something that is going to be forced and artificial, and like, I'm supposed to do this, and I don't feel comfortable with it. And... But what I want you to do is not to start making an impact. What I'm saying is, I want you to be intentional about the impact you're making. That's an important difference. Because every single day by being alive, you are already making an impact. I'm not asking you to start making an impact. Daniel was making an impact whether he did this or not. The question is, what kind of life are you living? What kind of impact are you going to make? Because you're making one whether you're trying or not. Example, this morning, I'm driving down to Covenant for the first of our four services. And as I'm driving down there, I got cut off by another driver. This driver had an impact on me, right? (laughs) 
And it wasn't my fault because I'm a very good driver, but he cut in front of me and then he let me know that he didn't like me a lot. His goal, I don't think, was that he saw me driving around and he's like, I want to impact his life. But he did. I had a response that welled up inside of me to his cutting me off. He had an impact. And then I had to come here and try to not let his impact on me impact the services that I was going to be preaching in. You're making a difference in every life that you encounter. You are having an impact every moment of every day. What I'm asking you to do is to name it and to be willing to be intentional about it. Maybe that could mean in your work. I mean, kind of Daniel's using his vocation here as an advisor. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, that's why we invited Ross Baird to come in and to do a dialogue sermon together. If you were here, Ross talked about his investment and his company, Village Capital, and venture capitalism, and how he's seeking to invest that. The point was not to talk about economics that day. The point wasn't to do any of that. The reason we asked Ross to come in was because Ross was somebody who, in his world, was trying to move from two-pocket thinking to one-pocket thinking. Because what normally we do is we sort of see life in, in sort of lanes, right? And I have the lane of my faith and church and how church is supposed to work. And then there's like investments in capitalism over here. And I don't think about them very much as connecting. And Ross does. And that's biblical. It's not biblical to separate the two. But we just don't think about capitalism and Christianity as things that ought to be working together. What does that mean? What does that look like? And what Ross did is he didn't just mail that in and just being like, well, I'm a Christian in my workplace. Um, to me, that's mailing it in. But he sat there and said, what would it mean for how we build this fund? And what would it mean for how we invest? And what would it mean for how we work in our company? What would it mean for us to think seriously about the values of the Bible and to live in that tension with trying to create a profitable and successful company? And I know that people are thinking about that in our community and have been thinking about that for a long time. And we just wanted to say, what does it mean if you're a doctor or a teacher or an administrator or a, a, a hospital a chaplain? What does that mean if you're a nurse or a doctor? What does that mean if you're an accountant? What does that mean if you're a high school student or a middle school student? What does that mean to incorporate your faith into that? But you don't have to be working to do this, right? I mean, it'd be questionable if Daniel's life as a slave or whether he saw it as his vocation or not, probably not. You know, he wasn't sitting there going, what do I wanna do with my life? I think I'm gonna become an advisor, right? It's like, what do I feel called to do? He was there doing it because he had to or he'd die. You can do and make the kind of impact if you're not working. Some of the people who make the biggest impact in the world are stay-at-home parents. And in our culture, I think there is very few things that are as hard as being a stay-at-home parent. Because one of the things that we hear a lot in our culture is, what do you do? What do you do? And you feel like you've got to have a great answer to that to be significant. And to sit there and go, well, I'm just staying at home as a stay-at-home dad for a little while, it, you, it kind of feels like I should explain that. But if we're serious about making an impact in the world around us, there is nothing like being a parent. Parents will impact this world more than anybody else. Because for years, you are pouring into lives who will then spend decades going out and influencing this world one way or the other. And no one will ever impact your kids as much as you. Or think about people in retirement. I have people in this church who like talk about how much they love retirement, not because they have all this free time on their hand, but they can finally be intentional about some things they always wanted to do. They can volunteer with mission partners. They can get involved in mission trips. They can uh, be intentional about spending time and traveling with their children or their grandchildren, forming deep relationships and making sure that those are strong. 
It's not about having free time. It's about that they can now have the freedom to leverage their influence in a different kind of way. What does it mean for you? And, friends, what does it mean for us as a church? Next week is an important week in the life of covenant where we will be deciding that. What does that look like for us as a church to be a faithful presence? Next Sunday is Pledge Sunday. There are some churches and some pastors who don't like talking about that at all. It's almost apologetic. I'm sorry we have to talk about money. The lights cost this much. we got to pay for it somehow. I disagree with that completely. I love talking about this. I, I think next Sunday is one of the most important Sundays in the entire year. Not because it's fundraising for an, an organization, right? We're not going to have a little, little thermometer down here and the marker where we're like, we're 80% of the way there. The phones are ringing. Come make your pledge today. It's not that at all. Like, it's not raising money for a, for a cause or for an organization. Rather, pledging it allows us to dream together of what's the impact God wants us to have in 2018. I love that question. That's an amazing question to sit in. What does God want to do? And your tithes and your offerings are what make that possible. I think next week is a wonderful Sunday. We should have it circled on our calendar and excited to make sure we're not going to be out of town on Pledge Sunday. It's that significant. It really is. And where we're going to go in the future as a church is for the most part not something new. Where we're going to go is built on where we are. And so this week in this series of Faithful Presence, as we thought about this, I took some time to write down and to think intentionally about how are we doing at that? How is Covenant Presbyterian Church doing it, being a faithful presence? Because there's probably, the best we're going to do next year is building on what we're doing today. So are we doing that well or not? And I want to say from the beginning, as I name a few things with you, that my default in life is to never be satisfied with stuff. And I mean that serious. I never feel satisfied with things. I never feel satisfied with things in my home. I never feel satisfied with things in friendships. I never feel satisfied with things as a pastor. I have got a long list of things I want to get better at, and I've got a long list of things that I want this church to get better at. That's my default. I know many of you have a long list of things that we want Covenant to get better at as well, and I'm, what I'm about to say doesn't nullify any of this. It is a spiritual practice for me to give thanks in my life because I run to what's not right. That's where I dwell. And that can be a hard place for people who love me to dwell there with me over the long haul. But this week I kind of took some time to think about if we're gonna talk about where we're going, where are we, how are we doing this? And there's three things I'd like to share with you that I am very proud of about this church and proud to be a part of with this church that I think is a faithful presence that we wanna name and we want to build on as we go into the future. The first is this. I am grateful, and when I say this, and I'm not trying to manipulate you at all here, you don't have to do anything, but if any of this excites you as well, you are allowed to respond in some kind of way, right? Like, I'm not asking you to be not, you can do a golf clap, you can be very Presbyterian, right? Like, you can, like, just a little thumbs up, or you can just smile, right? Just something. It's just hard to celebrate and be thankful when people are just staring at you like, right? Like, it's like, you know, it's okay for us to be excited about this. It's okay to give thanks. All right. First thing I'm excited about it, when I think about the faithful presence of this church is that we are thriving as a congregation in our political and in our theological diversity. And that is significant because we live in a time today that is unbelievably divided. 
I had somebody in our church who's in their 80s who said to me this week, in all of my life, I have never experienced a time in America like this. There's so much tension and so much disagreement and so much poison. And what we are are people who are experts about who's to blame for what's wrong, and it's always them. It's always they. It's always the other. There's an amazing shallowness in our ability to look at ourselves right now in this country. And without that, you cannot have great diversity of thought because it's threatening to have people who think things differently than us. We are not thriving here at Covenant because we keep that hidden, that diversity. We have people in small groups who very much disagree on things. We have people in mentoring relationships. We have people in Bible studies. And often they lean towards those and have those hard conversations that they can't have anywhere else. And the reason that we can do that, I believe, is because we're a church that has a very high Christology. What I mean by that is that we take Jesus seriously. And by taking Jesus seriously and the call to follow him, that allows us to have low walls, right? One of the great misconceptions in our culture today is that if we just talk about diversity and inclusiveness enough, we'll somehow start doing it. You can't have unity around the concept of diversity and inclusion. You can't do it. Because every community has to have something that we hold in common together and say, this is a common practice that gives us meaning. So we can talk about diversity, inclusion, diversity, inclusion, diversity, inclusion. We stand for diversity, inclusion. Not, not completely. Everybody believes that there's got to be something to hold together. And so you've got to have that thing. For us, it is Jesus Christ. And when we follow him and take that seriously, we also take seriously the fact that God is God and we are not him. And that allows us, that allows us to have low walls, right? It allows us to be actually be diverse, not out of political correctness, but because it's really there. Because what we believe is, is that as followers of Jesus, as Paul writes, we have strong convictions, and yet we also realize that we see in a mirror dimly. And so what that means is, I believe, is that when I get to heaven, the Lord is going to look at me on some things and go, Thomas, you really misunderstood that one. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's one of the ones I felt really strongly about. And he's like, I know, I heard you. You really misunderstood that one. And because I'm not God, what that means is I can hold strong convictions, but also thrive by relationships of people who see things differently because I know they might be right. Unless you have that thing to unify you, you can talk about diversity and inclusion as much as you want. It will not happen. Because you can't unify around it. We unify over our being different. There's nothing, that's nonsense. But we keep talking about it. In the midst of our culture that is so divided and so poisonous right now, I am proud of the presence of this alternative community that says we are thriving because God is bigger than us and therefore we learn from each other. Do you want to be a part of a church where you're told you're right? Or do you want to be a part of a church where you can grow? Because the two of those are mutually exclusive. I want to be a part of a church where I can grow. I give thanks to God that I get to be a part of a place like this. It is a big deal. And it is different than whatever else is going on. At 9.30, they tried to start a wave, which I think would be the coolest thing if we started a wave back and forth. 9.30 traditional service, they were trying to start a wave in the sanctuary. Number two of what I'm excited about, about this church and the faithful presence that we are and what we're going to build upon, I believe, in the future, is the kind of growth that we're experiencing. 
We added last week at this church 24 new members, which is a wonderful thing. Some of them uh, might be here today that we can invite uh, for you to meet at the end of the service. It's a great thing, and, and that's not abnormal at our church that we have a membership class like that right now. And it's very cool to see that growth. But someone asked me this week, like, Thomas, how many members does Covenant have now? I have no idea. That is a totally uninteresting figure to me. Uh, I'm not interested in learning what our membership is. Membership is a figure that, for the most part, gives pastors and church leaders a sense of their importance and a sense of bragging to each other about it, neither of which I think is, is biblical. Um, I know churches that claim to have thousands of members that you could shoot a cannon off in worship and not endanger hurting anybody, right? Like, it, it doesn't matter what you say your membership roles are if you don't have people actively participating in things. I do not know what our membership is. Some of you probably know more than I do what our membership is. I care about the people joining, though. And in our growth, and we are growing by any metric you can find, what excites me is the kind of growth we're having. Because over the last three years, in 2015, 2016, and 2017, amongst our growth, 70% of the people who have joined this church were not members of a church before coming here. That is significant. That is significant. It's not that any member or new member is more valuable than any other, but what it is saying is that in a, church, in, a, in a city where we are the minority, we are making inroads into the majority culture around us, not just picking off people from other churches. And that kind of growth is significant. It means that while we have so much to improve upon, we are experiencing kingdom growth, not church swapping. And that is significant as well. And I give thanks for that. And I give thanks to be a part of that. And lastly and finally, I give thanks about the faithful presence of covenant and my excitement about where we're going to go because of the increased intentionality with which we are thinking about those beyond these walls. What we normally think about with mission and mission giving. For example, and I know many of you have heard this, since 2010, our mission giving has increased 250% here. That's an amazing thing. Our presence of how we use this property is an amazing thing of how we're trying to be intentional about leveraging this place. And we don't do it, we don't do it out of a sense of charity. We don't do it out of a sense of political correctness and we don't do it because we're trying to help our brand have a positive image in the city. We do it because we believe the only value of the church is when it points to something larger than itself and we see the transformation of our city and our world. That's why, for example, we have AA that meets here and one of the largest chapters of AA anywhere in the city of Austin. We don't do it to be nice to them. We do it because AA is a place where broken lives come and experience healing and reconciliation and wholeness. My extended family has been benefited by AA. I know the power of what AA can do with brokenness. And it is amazing how God can use that. We do it because it leverages our property for this city and families to look different. That's why we do it. That's why we get involved with mission partners like International Justice Mission in new ways. Groups that are working around this world for the eradication of slavery and trafficking, which are more alive in the world today than at any point in human history. And not only are we financially supporting IJM, but we have a family. As many of you know, the Kildays, 
Doug and Thais and their three children, Naida and Lincoln and David, who are right now living for a year in Cambodia. And they are there having left jobs here in Austin to go there and to spend a year in an unpaid internship battling against slavery. And friends, what that means is there are human lives today in this world that are free that a year ago were in bondage. And that is transformation. That's the world looking different and becoming different. This is why we work with Austin Voices or Street Youth Ministry or so many other things. It's not to just check a box of being nice. It's because we see in families and in young people's lives, their worth as people of children of God come alive. And this changes us and changes the fabric of our society. We are much as our neighbors around us who are not Christians would like. They would love us to just be quiet and under the radar. We are not going for that. Daniel did not go for that. We are not trying to be like a pebble dropped into a smooth pool that just creates this little ripple effects. We are wanting to do a cannonball off the high dive so that our splash and the ripple effects of what we do saturates this city with the love of God. We are not trying to fade into the darkness. We are seeking to be a faithful presence. And I am excited about how God is working in the midst of all that we need to improve on in wondrous ways. Imagine what the next chapter in the story will bring. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would use us to continue to be a faithful presence in this city and that hopefully you can use us to continue to see lives come to faith, people engage the gospel of justice becoming more real in the lives of people around this world and in this city and that creation would not be the same because of our being able to do this together. We look forward and give thanks for what you are doing and look forward with hopeful expectation to what you will do again. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one last song.